Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to be with you. We are in the middle of a mini three-week series called Unplugged, and it's real relationships in a digital world. And uh, this is a a subject and a topic that I know hardly any of you will relate to, but just for the very few who do, well, that is what it's about. Actually, the reality is we live in this world that's now a digital world. Whether you are connected online with every social media um, avenue there is, or you are still using your flip phone or a phone that plugs into the wall, uh, we want to explore this and look for biblical truths that speak truth and peace into our lives. Because whether you like it or not, we live in a digital world. And, and we're being shaped and transformed and, sh- and changed, the world's changed because of the world and the the way it interacts at this time. And so we want to look at what does it mean to be followers of Christ in this world? Or as one church said it, what does it mean to be followers of Christ in a selfie-centered world? And so that's one of the things that we want to explore is what does God say about relationships that matter for us and how do we interact with each other? How do we actually experience peace and, and hope? One thing we found and researchers have found That with the increase of social media, we've also seen an increase of a lot of issues like anxiety, depression, and suicide have gone up at alarming rates. There's a lot of studies that have directly linked those to people's use of digital technology and how it's related sometimes to those issues. And again, we're not going to preach against social media or digital or anything like that and tell us we all need to put it down, although some of you probably could use a little regulation in your life and, and, and maybe bring some uh, boundaries. But the truth is we live in this world, so how do we live in light of it? Because it's a world that feels more connected, and in being more connected, people are more alone alone and feeling more depressed than ever before. And we want to know, what is that all about? I love the way Greg Crochelle says it this way. He says, social media gives us the illusion of companionship without the demands of friendship. So one thing that we're finding is that when we feel more connected, we feel like we have a lot of friends and acquaintances and companionship. I, I, I know what you ate for lunch yesterday, and, and, and I know what's going on with your kids, and I know the first step your kid made, you posted it, and I saw it. So the, I feel like I know some of you, and some of you feel like you know me, but that's companionship, but there's no demand of friendship. And so part of that then, we're missing out on some of the basic human needs that we have when we're searching for everything that we need and relying on those, on these now what are becoming more and more shallow relationships. We're finding that we are growing deeper, I mean, sorry, wider in our net of friendships, but more shallow in the depth of those. And we're finding that it's not meeting the needs of the human heart that all of us have. Because all of us are longing for a few things. We're all longing to know, do I belong? Am I accepted? Do I have a place in this world? We have that, that question of acceptance. We have that question that asks of, am I loved? Is there someone that uh, can know me and love me? Can I know and be known? And then the other question is, is there purpose and meaning in, the life, in this life? All of these things are things that we long for and we crave as humans, and it falls short in a lot of this new changing digital world. So we're going to explore that a little bit today. I kind of laughed for a moment uh, earlier this week. I was reading an article by a psychologist who was talking about those three needs of the human heart. And he was talking about it and said, actually, it seems that humans have evolved to a place where we need love, acceptance, and purpose in life. But when I thought about that, I thought, no, actually, we're created that way. If we look at Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 to 27, it's God creating humans. And he says, God created mankind in his image. 
Male and female, he created them in the image of God. Well, when we think of that, we are now created with the DNA of, our, of the maker of the world. We, we are in his image, therefore, what is the heartbeat of God is the heartbeat of the longings of the heart of humans, and we find that he was a relational God, eternally existing as a Father, Son, Holy Spirit. So God eternally existed in relationship. In his very essence and nature, he is a relational God, so it makes sense that we are relational beings longing for acceptance and belonging. We know that he eternally existed in a love relationship, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. So in his essence, the creator God is love. So it makes sense that we long and crave for love. To love and be loved, to know and be known. And then finally, we find that God has created us with purpose. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, it says that now therefore go, bear my image to the ends of the earth, be fruitful and multiply, represent my name. You have purpose and meaning. And so in a world that we haven't evolved to a place where we crave those things, we were created with a need for those. So we want to look at today, what does it mean for us now living in light of the world we live in, where those things are being attacked in many ways or at least watered down, and how can we reclaim the truths to find who we are in Christ, who he is, that we may have freedom and be people of peace and freedom for others. So that's where we're going here this morning. I want to invite you to pray with me as we get started. God, we thank you again for this morning. I thank you that you have created us with purpose. God, that you have poured out your love on us. Um, And Lord, we ask this morning that you would speak to us. Everyone in here, there's something we need to hear today. So help us hear what we need to hear, that we may be changed by your truth, uh, the truth that doesn't change. So we thank you and we give you this time now in Jesus' name. Amen. Now today I want to tell you, we're going to look at many passages. Often we will anchor in one passage and study through it, but today we're going to jump around. I'm going to provide those passages uh, for the screen on you, most of them. Uh, If you like to follow along in your Bible, we always encourage you to do so. You can always grab a copy of the Bible on the back if you do not have one. Uh, It's our gift to you. And you're also more than welcome to use your digital version of it. It is okay here today. So you can use those. You do not have to unplug when we're looking into scripture this morning as we look at that. But I want to start off and look at a story in the book of 1 Kings chapters 18 and 19. And we don't have time to go through the whole story, but it's an interesting story because it's a story of this prophet named Elijah. Now, Elijah is known uh, in, in the Jewish faith as one of the great prophets. In fact, he and Moses are known as the two great prophets of the Lord. And, and Elijah had this really victorious kind of life of following God and, and seeing the power work through him. And we see Elijah in 1 Kings chapter 18 has this incredible encounter. See, Elijah was a prophet of God, of the God of Israel, of Yahweh. And, and he was uh, pointing people's hearts back to him. But the current king of Israel was a follower. He adopted the Canaanite gods, and one of them was named Baal. And he set up altars, and they were worshiping Baal. And he married, uh, the, his wife was a queen from another uh, country, and they worshiped this Asherah, this goddess. And so you have Baal and Asherah became the god and goddesses that Israel were worshiping and creating altars to and, and, and turning their hearts towards them, which were false gods that were not delivering on all the promises they were looking for. But Elijah was proclaiming, hey, turn our hearts back to the God of Israel, the God who cre- the creator God. And in chapter 18, there's this great encounter where Elijah has this kind of uh, face-to-face with 450 prophets of Baal and Asherah. 
And in this showdown, the God of Israel, Yahweh, shows up in this powerful, mighty, miraculous way. And everyone who's watching says, oh, this is the true God. Uh, Baal and Asherah are false gods. They're not gods. But we serve the powerful God of the universe. And so it has this, this epic moment where any of us, if we had those, we would be posting it online, sharing that one, getting a lot of likes. Because it's like, look what God just did. He showed up in this powerful way. And then chapter 19 comes along. Chapter 19 comes along and Elijah's told, hey, Elijah, great, cool, what you just did, but uh, the king still wants to kill you. In fact, the queen said, by the end of this day, you are going to be like one of those prophets who just died by this lightning and fire. You're going to die. I'm going to kill you today. So we find Elijah, after this great moment of triumph, is wandering through the desert and he feels alone And he feels like he's the only one. And in this moment in chapter 19, we see him in verse 10. He's sitting down and he's saying, God, I've been zealous for you. I've been serving you. I've been giving my life to you. And here I am now. I'm in the desert and, and I'm all alone. There's nowhere. I don't belong anywhere anymore. There's no one who walks with me. No one loves me. All my followers unfollowed me. I just posted this photo of that battle at Mount Carmel and nobody liked it. Nobody shared it. And now I'm out in the desert. And what I do know is I'm the only one who believes what I believe. I just want to go and be with my forefathers. I just want this all to be over. Let's just end this. Then God gives him a rest, gives him a nap and some food, wakes him back up. And in verse 14, he asks Elijah the same thing. And he says, Elijah, what are you doing here? Elijah now is in this cave encountering God. And he says "Ah," the exact same thing. He says, I've been zealous for you. I've been serving you. All I've been doing is trying to do what's right, what you've called me to. And I look on Facebook and everyone thinks I'm out to lunch. I'm the only one who believes the way I believe. I'm the only one who thinks this way. God, I'm alone and there's no point anymore. It's just me. And in this great moment, verse 18, God speaks purpose back into Elijah's life. He says, Elijah, Elijah, I'm not done with you yet. Get up, Elijah. I've been with you all along. You think you're not loved? I still love you. I'm still with you. In fact, not only am I with you, I have a plan for you. I want you to go and you're going to anoint a new king. And oh, by the way, on your journey, you're going to find this other guy named Elisha. He's going to be your new apprentice. He's going to serve you. He's going to walk with you. He's going to be a companion for you. You're not done. I've got, I still got work for you to do, Elijah. Oh, actually, and just so you know, there's 7,000 more who have not bent a knee and kissed Baal. Elijah, you're not as alone as you think you are. You're not the only one. So get up. I'm not done with you. 
When I hear that story, I just think that this speaks so much to maybe the emotions that some of us feel walking in a life of faith. How many of us have those moments, and especially in a digital world, when you look around and you think, I think I'm the only one who still believes what I believe. Or I think if I were to live and, and, and walk this life of faith that I, I, I'm going to lose some followers. I'm going to get some unlikes. Or it seems like I'm no longer relevant. Maybe, God, you don't have a plan anymore. And the word for us here today is, no, you still can be accepted by God. There's love and there's still purpose and meaning. And we want to explore that. That's, it's been the longings of the human heart from the very beginning. This isn't a new issue. It's just, it's broadcast for all of us to see. So let's look at those three areas of the human heart that were actually what we're created for and that Elijah was experiencing and the things that we need. And the first one is this, that acceptance. We're all people who are created and need this acceptance or this, this need to belong, to fit in, to say, God, is there anywhere for me? Is there a place for me? And one of the problems of the digital world that we're living in is the fact that a lot of our acceptance shows up in the forms of likes and followers and connections or friends on Facebook. And it's very easy to look at yours and say, I wonder why I only have 25 followers because my photos are awesome. And this person who has an Instagram account for their cat has like 7,000 followers. What is up with that? And it's really hard not to feel like, how, how is that more valuable? Now, I know all of us in here are much more mature than that. We've all gone beyond it. We never look to see if we post a photo that got liked. I know we haven't done that. Um, no, we all do that. We're all susceptible to it. We find that actually right now, 70% of the world, 68% of the world is connected uh, online, and 68% of the world, I think, is on Facebook right now. Think of that. 68% of the world is connected to social media. Uh, the average person spends over two hours a day on social media. And you know what that means, because if you take a guy like me and my average, um, that means some of you are putting four to six hours a day online. And any of us who have high schoolers, junior hires, or hang out with them, we say, is that it? <laughs> How many begin your day and you pull up the phone? The first thing you do, the last thing you do is you pull up the phone. How many of you post a photo and you check every 20 minutes to see if you have any new likes. You hear that notification, you're like, oh, sweet. Someone else likes my sandwich. <laughs> Wishes they could cook as well as I can. <laughs> it's just a reality. It's a world we live in. It's okay. It's okay, but how do we live in light of this truth? See, because this need for, to know if we're accepted, re researchers have found that, that little, there's something that goes off in our brains when you get a like or a follower or any of those connections. They've actually physically mapped it out in the brains that it triggers the same response as our brains respond to rewards, which starts when you're a child and your parents reward you for doing something good. When, when you say, you know, walk for the first time or when you oh, obey or behave or something in that you get a reward for your behavior, that same part of your brain is triggered when you get a like on Facebook. So just think of if our acceptance now, we are physically training ourselves to actually 
feel good. It releases a dopamine in our body that makes us actually feel good when that happens. So now what happens when those start, we get fewer and fewer of them. And we see that now there's actually clinical uh, uh, depression and stuff that's linked to people's withdrawal from social media. If they're in a place where they can't connect with their phone, people are physically getting ill from it. And so we're finding all of our acceptance and we're getting this need from these little data points that are all temporary. They come and go. I remember when blogs first started and I was doing a lot of blogging and I got on this thing called the daily photo and it was like every photo you post a picture. This is before Instagram. This is like the original daily photo. And we'd post a picture and you'd always check how many people liked your photo and it got to be this global phenomenon. But then it, the next thing came along and nobody was looking at that anymore. But if all of our acceptance and if your worth is wrapped up in it and that changes because my guess is something's going to change and we're going to be looking for new followers and new likes and new, something else. So what happens when that goes away? So we need to retrain our minds to be accepted and find acceptance in appropriate places. And again, I'm not saying you're going to have to turn off social media. I don't think that's going to happen. So we as people need to retrain our minds. And the first thing I think we need to do is remember where, that we are accepted and we are loved in the kingdom of God. First John chapter 3 verse 1 says this, See how great a love the Father has given to us, that we are called children of God, and that is what we are. See how great the love that God has poured out on you, that you are children of God. You know what? That is the greatest proclamation of your worth and your value and do you belong of any truth in the whole world. Yet my guess is this, for many of us, doesn't do it as well as getting a new connection or a new friend. But we need to keep going back and reminding ourselves in those moments when we feel like, when you feel those comparisons and uh, am I measuring up or why are these people more popular? We need to get in the habit of training ourselves every day. Wait a minute. Behold what manner of love the Father has given to us that we may be called children of God. If you ever memorize verses, I believe, this is one we should all have in our heads because we need to remind ourselves of this truth every single day. This is the greatest truth that you can possibly know, that there is a creator God who loves you more than anything, so much that he'll call you his child. He accepts you even despite the sin and brokenness in your life. He's not going to unlike you. He may prod you and challenge you and shape you and change you, but there's great love poured out on you. We need to remind ourselves of this. Parents, we need to remind our kids of this truth over and over again. They're growing up in a world where they are spending six hours, four to six hours a day on the social media, and that's probably not even on the high end. And they're getting this message from a lot of other places. And it's not just young people, because we know all the demographics we see that people relate to social media in different ways, and we're all looking for this. And by the way, it's not like people have only started looking for acceptance in the last few years, 15 years. You know the old phrase, put on your Sunday best? Do you know what that came from? That's the original edit your lifestyle uh, filter that people put on. It's Sunday morning, so let's put away what we did all week. Let me look nice, look perfect, and show up at church so that people can like me, <laughs> will follow me. We all have had, we've always had this need to wonder if we're accepted and welcomed in. So we need to remind ourselves that the first thing is that we belong because God has poured out his life for us. 
and will call us sons and daughters of God. Let's remind each other of that truth. We can't just hear it from me. We gotta be speaking it into each other's lives. This is a fundamental truth. I love how Henry Nouwen talks about this. He says this, Jesus came to announce to us that any identity based on success, popularity, and power is a false identity. It's an illusion. Loudly and clearly, he says, you are not what the world makes you, but you are children of God. This may sound like elementary truth to many of us, but this is a truth that we need to deep and to, we need to have it sink deep into our souls. And we need to be people of this message that get this out to everyone we encounter. We need to know this. So that's part of the acceptance. We need to have those moments where we preach this to ourselves. That, wow, the God of the universe loves me so much that he can call me a son and daughter of his. There's nothing greater. So what about our need for love? That's the next thing. We have that need for acceptance. Do I belong? The next one is love. Can I be known and know others? Can I be loved and love others? This was a little bit of last week. We talked about the intimacy that comes from authenticity. So if you weren't here, I encourage you to go back, look through those notes, study that, because it's important that we become authentic people. That leads to true intimacy. We drop the filters in our lives. But the truth is, again, I love the way uh, Groeschel says this. He says, we're living in a world where we're living for likes, but we're longing for love. And we're living for likes, but we're longing for love. So we keep searching for things and we're, we're looking for affirmation and acceptance in other places where it just doesn't work. And more and more, we're finding that we have these edited relationships. Our whole lives are edited. Everything. How many of you use the phone regularly? You don't have to raise your hand. How many of you text instead of call? Okay, come on, confess. Text instead of call. Yeah, the rest of you are lying. So um, we find among young people, I can call someone. I can call my staff. They will not answer. I'll text them like, hey, what do you need? (laughs) One pastor was talking to the young adults in his church, and he found that it was almost all of them said that they will rehearse a conversation even before they call to order a pizza. And the truth is we live in a world now where everything is edited and nothing, so it's just natural that text message allows you to control the conversation. You can control it if you're going to respond to someone. They didn't live in a world where, where many of us grew up, and I'm, you know, I'm of the young generation, but um, when we moved into one of our new houses, we had a, a, a phone jack in the wall, and my youngest son said, Dad, what is that? I said, well, it's a phone jack. He said, what do you mean? I said, well, you used to plug your phone into it. He goes, to charge them? <laughs> I was like, no, you'd actually plug this cord into the phone and it was connected to a cord that's connected to someone else's house. And you'd call. And he's like, I have no idea what you're talking about right now. <laughs> he's living in a world where you always were able to edit. He, my kids never grew up in a world where you had to actually, if you wanted to call a girl, you had to call her home. Do you know who else lives in her home? Dads live in girls' homes. (laughs) I lived in a world where you had to call and maybe talk to a dad. Or you just go like, eh, call later. (laughs) Until caller ID came out. Then you couldn't hang up. But now we live in an edited world where you don't even have to go through that. You, don't, you can pay at the pump. You can order online. Just pick it up. We, we can control every single environment. So what does that lead to? What does that lead to? 
It means that we're in a world where we always have to show our best. And our young people, especially who've never experienced life differently, they're growing up in an environment where this is just how it is. Always show your best. No wonder anxiety and depression are going up. How about this? We live in a world where all of your mistakes can be captured. Now, we want to be smart. We always tell our kids, be smart about social media. Hey, that was funny, but how about you don't post that one? <laughs> because there's a day when that might come back and get you. I'm so grateful social media did not exist when I was a teenager. <laughs> that is such a good thing. Any amens to that one? I mean, come on. <laughs> I mean, I would have a different job if it did. So... <laughs> But now, because everything can be captured, it often is, and it often is shared, sometimes when they want it to be, and sometimes when they don't want it to be. We're in a world where we've actually forgotten how to forgive people and allow them to shape and grow and change. We think that a mistake you make when you're 17 is going to define you when you're 30. It's going to define the job you can get, the college you can get into. So no wonder people feel pressure. We're, we're expecting perfection from everyone. That's the world we live in now. That's the result if you follow this. No mistakes, edit everything, make sure all people see is perfection. And you and I know that's not a recipe for a healthy life expected to be perfect. So our young people are living this, but many of us are living in this world, in your jobs. That's why it's so important that we understand how we can really truly love one another and walk with one another, meaning that with your brokenness and your scars and your weaknesses, we need to be a church. We need to be a people who understand what real love is. And real love isn't loving the facade or the perfection. It's saying like, hey, maybe you made a mistake, but I'm going to be with you through that time. In John chapter 13, verse 34, Jesus is speaking to his disciples. He says, a new command I give to you. That you love one another even as I have loved you. That you love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. How many of Jesus' disciples were perfect? Yeah, Jesus' disciples, they were messed up. They did some stupid things. And we captured some of it online. It's great. <laughs> but my guess is not all of it. You see, but Jesus walked with them and he said, I want you to love one another just as I've loved you in your brokenness, in your imperfections, in your weaknesses. Now, Jesus never said, I love to see you in your mess and I want you to stay there. No, he said, I'm gonna walk with you in your mess and in your weaknesses. I'm gonna, through my spirit, work on transforming and shaping and changing your heart. But as I walk with you, it's gonna be a, 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 in an attitude of love, of care for you. And so he calls us to love one another as Christ loved the church. If we could just love one another, this world needs that. I know, again, Ryan, that's elementary truth. How well are we living that out? How well do we love one another and their weaknesses and brokenness? There's a story I've shared before, but by uh, an author, Brendan Manning, who always is such a great storyteller, but he tells a story of a young couple who recently got married, and uh, the wife, she had to have a surgery, and, and, and her surgery they nicked a nerve in her face, and so half of her face, her smile would droop down. One sm part of her smile would go up, the other one would go down, and as she saw after the surgery and realized this will never change, she felt pretty uh, insecure about that, 
And as her husband walked in, she said, I'm so sorry. And my smile will never be the same. And my face is, in a sense, broken. And he looked at her and he leaned in. He tried to shape his lips to the new form of her new smile. One side up, one side down. And he reached in and gave her a kiss. He said, I kind of like it. It fits. See, that's a picture of the love that God has for us in our brokenness. He comes and he meets us in those moments. Can we be a church who loves one another in our weaknesses? Behold, what manner of God, the love that God, Father has given us that we may call, be called children of God. The greatest truth to be accepted. Love now, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. That's the next part of this, that we are people of love. It's what the world needs. It's what the world needs from us. The third question, or the third thing we look at is purpose. We look at purpose and we wonder, is there any purpose for us anymore? Is there any need for Christians? Because if you look at the news feed, sometimes it feels like maybe there's not. Seems like not many people are calling out and saying like, I would just love to hear a Christian perspective on this issue. I don't have a lot of friends longing for that. Well, I should say this. I think they're longing for it, but they don't know it. Perhaps because they've never seen the right perspective coming from who Christ is. But do we still have purpose? Or like Elijah, do we say, God, I don't know. It's, it's getting a little tough. Can we just be done? Would you just come back so we can be over? But he says, I'm not done with you yet. So I think what the world needs right now is they need people who are living for something. Because more and more we're seeing that people are who are really aren't living for anything but the next day. In fact, we were kind of disheartened when we heard um, my son was on a field trip last year and it was, um, they were looking at stars and stuff like this. And at the very end of the day, uh, the person leading the field trip, the teacher for the day, looked at them and said, hey kids, if you remember anything from today, remember this one thing, we're all just space dust. All right, have a good life. I mean, is that speaking purpose into someone's life? Do you know why we have, what are we living for? It's if all we believe is that, hey, we're just dust. I'm no better than the algae on the side of the pond. And at one day, we're all going to be gone. Who cares? Anxiety and depression are going up. Because there's nothing to live for. That's not the world that God has created for us. That researchers have actually found that even though we find that people seem to be about causes and about caring for others more and more, companies now, it's like there's no company can sell something without it benefiting someone, right? That's just kind of the world we're in now, but actually the researchers have found that compassion and empathy are at an all-time low. That people actually have less and less compassion even though we see all of the pain and hurting and tragedies in the world, that people are becoming less compassionate. Partly probably because we see everything and people are hopeless and saying, well, there's no answer. So I, I can't care about that. It's becoming so routine. But we even have lost the ability to empathize with one another. Another thing we're finding is people are becoming more tribal. We're being pushed into the corners and we're all just hang out with wh who you believe, what you think. And, and this is all part of, I, I get my news feed every morning. I don't get a newspaper. I get it on a digital, on a tablet, and it aggregates all these news sources. Guess what it does? It learns what I like. 
It knows what kind of articles I read and says, oh, you must like this kind of article, so we'll send you some more. So I intentionally try to trick it by reading other things. I've been reading a lot about women's fashion lately. It's like, I'm not just about baseball. Come on. I'm well-rounded. <laughs> but no, so it, it learns what we like, and so it's actually pushing us into becoming more and more tribal because we're only hearing what we think is truth and what we want to hear. Maybe it's just me and my friends, but um, you'll, you'll run into people like this. We're becoming so much more tribal. Look at your Amazon homepage. Do you think yours looks like mine? It looks like it knows what you want to buy before you even know it. They've already figured out what you're going to like next week. It heard you talking about it last night. <laughs> Creepy but true, right? <laughs> and it customizes it for you. So what are we doing? We're becoming more and more into, well, I guess the world is only like this. So that's why Christians are feeling like, wait, maybe I'm the only one. A few years ago, we were on a road trip and we went to, to Wyoming, which is a little different than Encinitas. And, and we went to the Cody Rodeo. It's a world famous rodeo. And they started off with a gospel presentation and then they prayed for all the cowboys and cowgirls before the bulls were trying to kill them. <laughs> and I remember looking at my wife and kids like, this is, what is going on? Because the world we live in, in, in California, you start to think like, no, this is, the, this is how everyone thinks except for me. And you realize, well, there's a different world out there. But part of this, as a result of it, is now we've, we've forgotten that there's any purpose as Christians. See, because I believe that Christians, we have the hope the world needs. And it's Jesus Christ. What the world needs is a God who will reach beyond all those barriers and say that there's something much bigger to live for. What the world needs is to know that, no, this is not a hopeless floating ball of space dust, but there's purpose in a creator who loves each one and wants desperately for us to be in relationship with him, to walk with him and spend eternity with him. And it's a world that we have purpose as Christians that we can reach beyond all these barriers and, uh, and be leaders in areas of racial reconciliation and leaning into the homeless and the, the hurting because we have this hope that the world doesn't have. They don't have answers to these things. But Jesus provides his hope. He provides something more. So there, you want to know, do we have purpose and meaning in life? If God has called you as a follower of his, you have the biggest purpose in the world. Look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. I have it for you. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You have purpose and meaning. God has invited you into this story that he is writing, and it's one word that you, can, you don't have to live for the likes but you can bring this message to others. Brothers and sisters, I have found in my life there are no regrets in living a life following Jesus. I don't have any regrets. I don't get to the end of the day and say, man, I wish I was a jerk to some people today. I wish I could have been more selfish. I don't feel that way. I feel that when I can live a life of, of proclaiming the truth of Christ and, and interact with people in a way that I believe God is inviting and calling and shaping me to interact with people, there's no regrets. That this is, I am proclaiming the excellencies of the one who called me out of darkness into his marvelous light. The world needs this. They need it. 
Uh, in First Peter, he also tells us, though, but don't be surprised when the world persecutes you for righteousness. He's writing to a group of Christians who are being killed because they are proclaiming love, because they were breaking down racial barriers, because they were breaking down the lines between uh, the roles in, in, in between men and women, and they were valuing people, and they were being killed for it because they're doing it in the name of Jesus and a creator God. So don't be surprised if some people unfollow you. And by all means, we need to be people who are doing this with love and with grace. We talk about firm center, soft edges. We don't need to be judging and pointing fingers to the outside world. We need to be loving, 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 and pointing people to Christ, the only one who can shape hearts. But we may have purpose. As we end our time here today, I think it's really appropriate that we end our time with communion. And communion for us is our going back to this table that has bread and juice on it. It's a reminder that all of this that we're talking about doesn't depend on you. That's the really freeing truth for us today. That all of this depends on Jesus Christ who gave it all for you and for me on the cross. And it's based on the power and the love of God poured out on us. And it's in the power of his spirit to transform and change lives. It's not up to you to solve the world's problems. And when we go to communion, it reminds us that this is based on our God being the one who pours out. So in a moment, I'm going to invite you to go to the tables and take the communion, take the bread. It represents the body of Christ who was broken for us. And the juice represents the blood of Christ that was shed for us. And it's a covenant. It's a symbol, a covenant in his blood, a deal he made that cannot be broken based on our actions. It's based on what God did, not what you have done. And so we go to the communion table as people who say, God, we thank you so much that you invite us in. We thank you that you love us and you've called us to love. We thank you that you've given us purpose that we may proclaim the excellencies of the one who called us. And the table reminds us that this is initiated by our God. It's empowered by our God and poured out. As we go to the table, I want to invite you to, if you want to go alone, if you want to go with someone, maybe a roommate, a spouse, your kids, or friends, perhaps your life group, you can take it anywhere around the room or back at your seat. Just, we have a couple songs, feel free. But I want to read this verse and give you this, uh, or sorry, this a quote as we go. It says this, if you were to live the rest of your life believing that you are worthless, it would be very hard worshiping a God that thought you were worth dying for. I want you to hear that truth here today. That our God thought you were worth dying for. He thought that it was a good move to go to the cross for you and for me. You want to know if you have value in this world? Just look to the cross. God's speaking it loud and clear over us. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for this morning. I thank you for the reminder of the truth. The Lord, in you that we are accepted. Lord, in you that we may be loved and love. And that in you, Lord, there's, there's purpose. There's meaning in this life. And it's because of you and what you have done. So Lord, we thank you for that. And this morning as we go to the table to remember what you did on the cross at Calvary, Lord, let it be truth that sinks in 
and transforms us. So we thank you and give you this time now in Jesus' name. Amen.